And so we are jumping into John 17. We're on week three of a series uh, we're calling Glory. And so glory, and, and the reason we're calling it glory is because in this prayer in John 17, this is the longest prayer that we have from Jesus. And a lot of folks know the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, incredible pr prayer. Um, uh, it's one of the most popular verses, or a few verses in all of the Bible. It's said before football games, it's said at banquets, it's said in ceremonies, and it's known as the Lord's Prayer. But I think the real Lord's Prayer, y'all, is John 17, because it's Jesus himself praying, and it's beautiful for many reasons, because it's, you can break it up into three main categories, and we're in the first part of this prayer, where Jesus prays for himself. And then he prays for his followers, the disciples, and then he prays for us. And so that's where we're going over the next few weeks. And so today, though, we're going to just, yeah, last week we looked at verse 1, today we're going to look at verses 2 and verses 3. And the reason why I believe these verses are so powerful is because when you, if you can get the transcript of a person's prayers, you can really hear the desires of a person's heart. Now, prayer is intimate. Prayer is something that Jesus said that we do in our closet, right, in secret. He calls it, you know, it, you know the, the, the Pharisees did it out on the, on the roads, and they dressed up, and they let everybody know they were praying, and they honked horns and waved flags, and look at us, we're spiritual but Jesus said, don't do it like that, because that, their reward is open, right? And when you pray, but he says, when you pray, do it secretly, like you do it, driving to work, in your mind, in your heart, when you're meditating on God's word, when you're thinking about the week and how you're going to get through and planning through these situations. We call that meditative prayer. That's praying. And so we get this glimpse of the heart of God in this prayer of what was important to Jesus the night before he was betrayed. What was important to Jesus when he knew he only had a, a, a few moments left, a few hours really. And that's what this prayer is. And so let's read it. I, I want to encourage you to, uh, to read this prayer. It's only it's 26 verses. It's John chapter 17. If you don't have a devotion that you're following, read this prayer. I've been getting up in the mornings. You can read it in about three minutes. It takes me about seven. Uh, but the average, person, <laughs> the average person could read it in about three to five minutes. And uh, it's a powerful prayer, y'all. It's powerful. There's so much in it. Verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your son may glorify you. Verse 2, this is, our, this is our assignment this morning. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those that you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do and in the presence of my Father in this glory that I had with you before the world began. Let's look at verses 2 and 3 again. I'm going to read those one more time. For you granted him authority over all people. So Jesus is praying to God the Father. God the Son is praying to God the Father. And he's saying, you've given me authority over all people. That's powerful. You've got to catch that that I might give eternal life to those that you have given me. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
powerful few verses there. So what is Jesus saying? I think he's saying a lot in this prayer. The first thing I really want to draw out before we jump into this is that one statement in verse 2 where he says, You have given me authority over all people. That's huge. So, so Jesus is praying in front of the disciples and he's praying to God and he's drawing something out that he hasn't said yet. He's drawing something out and he's saying and he's communicating something to, to the disciples that they hadn't really heard before. And he's telling them that God the Father has given him authority over everybody on the planet. That's wild to me. And that word authority, it's like, you know, when somebody has authority, that basically what it, what it means is somebody who has the right to act and to exercise power. That's authority. Somebody who comes and has the right to act and to exercise his power. Authority. If a burglar breaks in your house and they come in with a gun, they have authority. But they don't have the right. Right? But what God is saying here, he's saying, I've given Jesus authority. And so if a, if a police officer shows up at your house with a subpoena with a gun, right? And not only does he have the authority, he has the right. And Jesus is drawing something out here. He's saying, God has given me authority over every person on the planet. And then he goes on and he says, this is what I've done. I've given them eternal life to the ones that you have given me. This messes me up a little bit. This messes my theology up a little bit, and I'll just go there. I know some, some people don't like theology or don't study theology, but I, I, I don't either, so I'm going to try to give it a knock. I have a little bit, but, you know, the little bit of seminary I have, we were really big on free will. It's, called, it's, it's this big debate that's been going on for a long time, Arminianism versus Calvinism. You know, Calvinism is, basically says that it's, it's God saves the elect, so God picks. He picks the people that are going to know him. And the people that are not going to know him. Arminianism is a little different. It says it's, uh, it's based on the will of man. And so every person can come to God and know God and experience God. So this verse is, is, is um, you know, this is aligned a little more with my Baptist friends here, okay? Because Jesus is saying, no, I have given you, I have given eternal life to the ones that you have given me. And so this is way beyond my pay grade, so I want to give you a little quote here from Warren Wearsby. He said, try to explain divine election, and you might lose your mind. <laughs> try to explain it away, and you may lose your soul, because it's there. And I, th I think the best way I've heard it is it's like, it's, it's got to be a little bit of both. There's got to be, I think our decisions are involved, and our free will is involved. We choose God, and then we find out that he chose us. And as we choose God and we get closer to God and we keep choosing God, we find out more and more in life that he chose us before the foundations of the world began. And that before the world created, this plan of salvation was in the heart of God. It wasn't something man came up with. Now that makes me, like, that gives me a lot of ease and peace <laughs> to know that. Because man, when they get involved with stuff, they mess it up, right? You put a man in leader, like man just gets, they just go in and mess things up. But this whole plan and scheme of Christianity that we know it in the 21st century is not something that man came up with. He said, Jesus is coming, representing God, saying, I've, giving, I've given salvation to all of those that you have given me. And this I, I, I know and I, and I believe with all my heart that God wants every person to go on this journey. It's four steps. 
that God wants every person to know him, know God, that he wants every person to find freedom from their past. And we all have that, that thing in your life that if it wasn't there, your life would be way better, that. He wants, he wants to give you victory over that. And then he wants you to discover your purpose. He wants you to find out the gifts that's inside of you, the talents that's, that are in there, and then he wants you to make a difference in the world. Not just use these gifts so we can have a good time on Sundays together, but he's like, no, I want you to use these gifts and go out in the world and make a difference. I didn't come up with those, but when I heard them, I said, that's it. <laughs> that, that, is it. That, is, that is the journey, I believe, from Genesis to Revelation that God wants to take every person on, but it starts somewhere with this knowing God. Jesus says, I've given eternal life to all those that know you. Now, what is eternal life? Lots of people want to know that. The rich young ruler came to Jesus. You probably know the story in Mark chapter 10. And he asked Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Because I really want it. I really want to know. That's a good question, isn't it? I think we all want to know that question. We all want the answer to that. What, what happens when this is over? What happens when I take my last breath? What's gonna, what, what does this look like? And, and the Bible describes it as eternal life. And the rich young ruler wanted it so bad, and he came to Jesus, and he said, well, uh, you got to do this, 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 and this. You need to keep the laws of the Old Testament, keep the laws of the New Testament. Rich young ru ruler said, no problem. I've done that from the very beginning since I was a kid. He said, okay, cool. Well, here's one more thing. <laughs> Go sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor. And then come follow me. And it says the rich young ruler was sad because he, he was very wealthy. Now, does it mean he didn't get eternal life? I don't think so. I think the rich young ruler is in heaven. But I think Jesus was offering him a level. And, and not only that, he was showing him that it wasn't based on works. He was showing him that this eternal life, you can keep it perfect to the letter and do everything right. And it's still not enough. This is hard, y'all. And so eternal life, what I want you to see and what I'm starting to believe and come to terms with in my own life is for a long time, I thought eternal life was heaven. Right? When we get over to the great by and by. Psalm, Psalm uh, uh, 333 in your red back hymnal. You got them right there. I'll fly away. And, and uh, I'll fly away, oh glory. And so that eternal life is reserved over the river. And, uh, and once we pass over and we pass through this existence to the next, we enter into eternal life where there's cherubims flying around playing harps. And there's all these great things going on. And, and, and so I thought for the longest time eternal life was heaven it was in a distance we're, we're heading there but it's not it's not something we can grasp here but jesus is showing us something a little different because when he talks about life eternal he says those that know god he's given them eternal life he's talking in the present tense he's talking that this is something that eternal life our message title today is life eternal is it something that comes to us while we're still here that eternal life is not a quantity of time, it's a quality of life. It's not a quantity of time. We think it's just life forever, and we're going to live, and that's eternal life. No, Jesus is saying, I'm giving eternal life to people right now, to those that know God and the ones that God has given me. It's something that we contain and we possess here and now. Something that we can have in our life. It's something that a lot of us have experienced. It's this life that we know comes from somewhere else. It's these moments in our life where it's just too, there's too much happening for it to be coincidence, right? 
You, you know that it's, and it could be a walk in the park, it could be a call, it could be a, something that happens in the, in, a, in, a, in the walls of a church, but you know at some point this eternal life is, is, is knocking on your door and it's wanting to come into your life now. <laughs> and then we go to it. And so it's a quality of life. It's, it's, it's something that we can all possess here and now. And the way that Jesus says we get it is by knowing God. Now, that's pretty vague there to me, right? What does that mean? I've really, I've, I've grappled with this. What does it mean to know God? Well, is it knowing about God? Is it memorizing scripture? Is it knowing the tenets of the faith? Is it the 16 fundamental truths? Is it the Nicene Creed? Is it knowing the Apostles' Creed? Is it knowing the Lord's Prayer? If you've got the Lord's Prayer, you know God, you're in. There's been many different versions of it. There's been many different things that have, you know. But I want to show you what the word, in, in the Greek, it's gnosko. To know God would be those that gnosko God are the ones that have this eternal life now and will have it when they go to heaven. And so this word has three different meanings. And I want to give them to you because I think they're all really, really important and at the base level, what he's saying is eternal life comes to those who know God. Is he saying eternal life comes to those that know about God? That's, I think, the first step. Is, is, is I'm, I, you know, God enters our heart, I, I believe, a lot of times through our heads. And so we learn about God. We read the scripture. We, we not, and and it's, it's, it's a little different, you know, than somebody spoon-feeding it to us. There's a, there's a point in our life where we say, I want to know God for myself. I want to know, I want to own, I want this to be a part of my life. I know I've been passed down this and that, and, and, we, and we don't, we don't, you know, discount that. But there comes a part, a time in our life where we own our faith. You know, for a lot of years I was a youth pastor, and I, and I loved it, loved it. And I noticed that these, a lot of the students, not a lot, but, but a, good, a good portion of them, more than I like to see, would leave high school and get out of the house of mom and dad, and go buck wild at college. I mean, like, like, and I felt like every everything that I, you know, I tried to pour into them, and and and, I'm, and I was finding that a lot of their faith, it was not their faith. It was mom's faith. It was dad's faith. It was they were, you know, and and so when they get some freedom, they they decided to start discovering things on their own. And I think that there's a real truth to that. That this is something that we have to come to on our own. This is something that we have to learn about and we have to put in the work and mom can't do it for us and dad can't do it for us. And I know, uh, you know, uh, Sister Bart Barton prayed for all her grandkids, but we can't run off of Sister Barton's prayers our whole life, right? Like we've got to, we've got to internalize it. We have to learn about God. And the way that we do that, Romans 10 verse 14 says, how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how they can believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear unless some foolish dude sits up with a mic that doesn't know what he's doing and tells them, right? And this is the foolishness of preaching. I think it starts there. It's man's feeble attempt to explain the eternal when we're temporary. But it's this learning about God, it's this knowing God where it all starts. I feel like it's kind of like Dayton, right? I mean, we've got some high schoolers in here. And when you're just like checking somebody out for the first time, they don't even know you're doing it. Like you're, like you're on their Facebook and Instagram, right? Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter. What else? Am I missing anything? And you're like ghosting them. 
You know, like, and so you're trying to find out about them. They don't know it. You don't let anybody, like your friends know. You're just kind of checking it out. You're learning about them. I think we do that with God. I did it. I came to church a couple times, you know, but I started by going online and checking it out, right? I started with doing all these things. Nobody knew I was reading my Bible. Nobody knew I was, like, interested in, in all of these things, and, and, but it was there. And so you got to ask yourself, like, why are you here this morning? Why are you listening to this? Why, like, where, where did that come from? Is that something that you conjured up in your own will? Or is there something that's got a hold of you that you're trying to get a hold of? Is there something that, like, I mean, we, of all the billions of things we could focus on in the world, something's glittering and it's called faith and it's called Christian, this Christian life and you're attracted to it. you got to ask yourself, why? That's the first level of knowing God. It's just a head knowledge. And then the second meaning of that word, that Greek word, gnosko, to know, it, it, it means basically to understand. And so we go from learning to living. So we learn about God and then we start trying it out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this. They say, okay, all right, it's probably not good for me to drink three bottles of whiskey a day. I'm going to try to stop drinking. And, you know, our, you know the, our, our, the Bible says I shouldn't lie. And I've noticed that when I lie, i got to tell another lie to cover up that lie. And then another lie to cover up that lie. So I'm going to try this out. You know, the Bible talks about how it's good to talk to each other and be honest. So I'm going to try that. We start trying it. We start living these principles. It goes from reading it to understanding it, to now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this thing a shot. You know, some of, not everybody that goes to church is weird. So I'm going to go with, and I'm going to start seeing what this is all about. And so we begin to walk in the principles that we've learned. And, and we know that there's another level that's unlocked when we do that. That it's, it's, it's we now, we go from like I'm ghosting on Instagram to maybe I'll, maybe I'll go to coffee with him or her. Now it's affecting my calendar. Now I'm saying no to stuff so that I can spend time with this person. Now I'm, I'm, my life, I'm, I'm making my life a little uncomfortable now. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't go the places I used to go because I, I want to really see what this is about. I'm living it. And I think some people never really get to that. Because sometimes we make it too easy. <laughs> That's my fault. Come to God and say yes and check this box in a few places and you're good. I don't think that's true. It's got to get down into our soul. A lot of times we have to give some things up. Like this isn't easy. This has been, I mean, when I became a Christian, I loved the way I was living. I was having a good time, y'all. You know, everybody tells their testimony, like, I was miserable in sin, and did it. I'm like, well, I was partying in sin, and, uh, and I was making decent money with my job that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing, and, and things were good. I mean, I felt like for me, and, and, and then all of a sudden, I, you know, just some series of, of things began to happen, and I was raised Catholic, but I never cared about faith. I never cared about it, and then I started becoming interested in it. It started drawing me in, and I started thinking, well, maybe I can try this out. I think that's why James says, chapter 1, verse 22, just don't listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. <laughs> Jesus said, if you love me, in John 14, verse 15, if you do love me, this is going to be the indicator. You're going to keep my commandments. It's going to go from the head to the heart, and you're going to begin to live it. It's not going to just be something you know or something you was taught. You're, you're going to work it out. 
in your own life. You're going to begin to walk it out. Because I'm seeing now that knowing about God is not the same as knowing God. And then I'm seeing now that even keeping all of God's rules is not really the same as knowing God. Because we can keep them perfectly. So here's a third one. And this is what I believe Jesus is saying when he says, I've given you, Lord, all the ones that you have given me that they may know you. So that word know, gnosko, would be the word that in that day a disciple would, would use to share the relationship that he had with his wife. He gnosko, he knew her. It was Adam knew Eve, right, in Genesis there's a connection between that word. It, it, at the deepest level, and what I think Jesus means when he says those that have eternal life, they know God, has nothing to do with rules. It has nothing to do with how much you know or how many degrees you have. But I think it has everything to do with your relationship with God. I think it has everything to do with a deep, deep love. And to know God is to deepen our love for him. This is not rule-based. This is not religion-based. And this is what made people so mad, and this is one of the reasons why a few verses after this prayer, Jesus is arrested. Because they wanted to control the monopoly. <laughs> we control God. We're the high priests. You come to God, you come through us. Jesus said, no, no, no. <laughs> no man comes to the Father except through me. It's his own words, not mine. And so he invites us. Now, this would sound silly to people listening to him praying that people could know God. Like an intimate, deep, this authentic relationship with God because they didn't think that was possible. And I think there's a lot of folks that know God on a head level. And they, they've even maybe changed a few things in their life. But Jesus is saying it's a lot deeper. It's a lot deeper. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's something that happens. It's invisible in some aspects, but it becomes visible on the outside. And it starts on the inside. It's knowing God. It's knowing this eternal life. It's the life of God that comes to us now, and we never, ever graduate from it. It's not this, um, you know, one and done, and then I'm moving on to new things. It's no, it's knowing God in a deeper way every single day of this journey on this planet until we see him face to face. Until we step through that, that this, this realm into the next, it's every day. It's walking with God. It's, it's walking hand in hand with him. It's learning to trust and, and, and live in that world. Matthew 7, this is some of the most frightening verses. It's real quiet in here, y'all. Pray for me. <laughs> Help me, Lord. I know this is, I want to give it to you, though, because I feel this is, this is why I've, I, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter to the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, look at what we did for you. We prophesied in your name. We drove out demons in your name. We were performing miracles in your name. And then he says, I'm going to tell them plainly. Depart from me. And here's that word. I never knew, gnosko, you. And so he's saying it's possible 
to live a perfect life and do all this stuff for God and never know the God that we're doing stuff for. It'd be like trying to stay in love with your, your husband or your wife, trying to stay faithful and you don't love them. Get up every day and, all right, I'm not going to cheat today. I'm not going to look at anything bad today. I'm not going to do anything bad today. I'm just going, all right, I got I to gotta stay faithful. Here's all these rules. And sometimes we do that with, I think, Christianity. As we come to this church, we get a bunch of rules. But what if we focused on staying in love? What if we focused on that one aspect of our relationship? And rather than getting up and looking at the rules and making that the, the high point, it's no, how can I love God? How can I love my spouse deeper today? How can I love my spouse more? What about my spouse do I love? Because I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to meditate on that. It's a love relationship. It's, it's the law of love. It will change the way you act. It will change the way you think. It will change the places you go and the things that you do. It should. But the center of it, y'all, come on. Are y'all with me? The center of it is love. It's not rules. The center of it is holy and it's God. And the center of it, the core of it, is this deep, deep love relationship that God wants with us. And then all the stuff on the outside will begin to change. And so how do we do this? What is it? I mean, I'm going to try to give it to you. Because I, th I think it's a little different, you know. I think every relationship's different. Every person's a little different. Nobody's got the same thumbprint and eye. You know, your, your, your retina's different. Your vocal patterns are different. It's different for every person. But I feel like these few things I want to give you. How do we deepen our love for God? The first thing is this. I think we look to his love for us. And I try to do that every week. I try to put it before you that that's why we sing how good God is. That's why we sing about his love. That's why we sing about this, this unending love, this, this, this love that the world has never seen and never known. Because as we meditate on that love, the more that we begin to focus on that love, it begins to get inside of us. We love because he first loved us, right? We have to, stop, we have to, we have to really start there. And I want to say it's the heart of all that we do. It's the love of God. There's so many parts of this, you know, uh, I wish that I could go into. But the more that we look to God, I feel like the more that we become and start to change and look like God. And that's the goal, right? That's what Paul said. He, he's like, you know, right now we see in the glass dimly, but eventually... If we keep focusing on God, if I keep going to church, I keep reading this Bible, right? If I keep, if I keep learning about God and walking this walk, God is going to begin to unlock things in my life. I'm going to see him in new ways. I'm going to, and not only that, as I behold him, I'm going to become like him. And so we look to Jesus. We don't look to people. We don't look to religion. We don't look to hierarchies. We look to him. Paul says it like this, the message is a, a paraphrased version. Whenever though they turn, when we turn our face to God the way that Moses did, God removes the veil. And then there they are face to face. Suddenly, they recognize that God is a living personal presence, not a piece of chiseled stone. And when God is personally present, a living spirit, the old constricting legislation is recognized as obsolete and we're free of it. Look at this, all of us, nothing between us and God. Our faces are shining with the brightness of his face. 
So what do we do when we come to church? We look to God. Why do we sing these songs? We're looking to God. Why, do we, why are we studying this prayer? Because we're looking to God. Because we know as we, as we meditate and we study on his love and the way that he dealt with people and interacted with people, hopefully that will seep down into our relationships and seep down into our soul. We look. We look to God. It seems easy, but it's really hard in a world that's screaming for your attention every moment. It's real hard when you got a phone that's beeping every 17 milliseconds. Breaking news. Look at this. Somebody just commented on somebody's food pick. Take out your phone and check it out. Right? I mean, it's like we, we are, it's just a, a lots of distractions. I mean, this is where we are. But, but when we look to God, y'all, we're changed. The second thing, we look to God, we pursue God. We pursue God with all of our heart. How do I love God more? I look to him, and then when I see something that I know I need and I want, I go towards it. I think God likes to be pursued. It's a book called God Chasers. Um, Tommy Barnett wrote the book. It's probably 20 years old. It's, a, it's an older book, but it's about this. He was an evangelist. It planted an incredible church in Skid Row. It's still operating today. His son, Matthew Barnett, runs it now, but he was an evangelist, and he got invited to this church to, to preach, and, and it was just so good. They had him back a second week, and they're like, you got to come back a third week, you know, and so they came back a third. Y'all don't do that here. I need a job, okay? Yeah, no, no, I'm just kidding, but, but it was so good. I'm thankful for guest preachers, but the third week, y'all, I mean, it's in the book, it's documented, there was hundreds of people in the, in, the, in the church when this happened. And they said that the presence of God was so thick, the pastor got up and he read out of, I believe it's Second Chronicles, where he says, seek my face and not my hand. Seek my presence is what it means and not what I can give you. And they said a loud sound hit the, 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 the sanctuary and there's pictures of it. It split the pulpit in half, boom knock the pastor back like 30 feet okay it's, it's wild read it it's cool it's a cool book but the whole book the, the essence of it is god begins to do incredible things when we just seek god for god and not seek god for healing or seek god for this or seek god for that imagine if you had a person in your life a five-year-old no i'm just kidding no, no imagine if you had a person in your life only time they called you is when they want something only time they meet up with you, you know, okay, they're going to take me to coffee, but they really want something. Because every time we meet, it's just like, hey, how you doing? Good. Well, by the way, God say, no, I want to be pursued. Would you give your time to somebody like that? Would you give your time to somebody who even cared if you cared about them? And I think God is pulling it back. He's saying, well, how about you pursue me and see what begins to happen in your life? Jeremiah says it like this. Y'all, it's getting so quiet. You're going to seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you seek me with all of your heart, God wants to be pursued. More than just what he can give to me, more than just what he can add to my life, because he'll do all that. I believe, I mean, he's a good father. I don't know a good father who's not going to take care of his kids. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know how much cows cost? They're expensive. So God's got it, y'all. Like, he's got it. 
But we don't come to him for that. We come to him because we just really want to know him. We want to love him. We want to deepen our relationship. We want to find and behold this love that's grabbed a hold of our hearts. We pursue God. And here's the last one. How do we, how do we know God on this deep level? I think at the very heart of it, it hinges on trust. It hinges on trust. We deepen our love for God by trusting him with our lives. And I think that's exactly why this prayer is placed where it's placed. Because I want to read to you, just I want to give you the subheadings. So J Jesus prays this beautiful prayer. John 17, I'm going to turn the page. John 18. Jesus is arrested. Jesus is denied by Peter one time. Jesus is denied two more times by his, by his best friend. The high priest questions Jesus. Now he's arrested. Then he goes before Pilate. Then he's sentenced to be crucified. Do, do you see what I'm saying here? His world falls apart. And I think this prayer is placed right there because he knew coming from this moment would be the hardest time of his life to trust God. And I think there will come a time in every person's life, and there already has been for many of you, where God's going to ask you to give something up. He's going to ask you to, to surrender. He's going to ask you to lay some stuff down. For me, when I was 17, this has happened many times in my life, but when I was 17 and I came to God and I, and I was like, okay, this is real, y'all. I know it was real. Like, this is, I, want, I want to learn. I want to, I want to move forward with God. God said, okay, I want you to lay down all this stuff. I'll never forget. I came back to high school my junior year carrying a Bible. I had long hair. When I, that, you know, Friday, I shaved it off over the weekend. Like, I literally, this is like, I'm, I'm turning over a new leaf. All my friends that I was running with that junior year, I completely had to remove myself from that. And I remember sitting at lunch by myself, like I used to have all these cool friends, and now I'm sitting at lunch and the weird kid with the Bible. And it happens. You, get, you grow older, you're 25, 30 years old, you got this great job, you can work for the rest of your life, and God says, all right, I want you to go ahead and sell that business. I want you to quit that job. I know it pays all the bills. You know, power's nice, eating's good. He's going to ask you to do stuff that just doesn't make sense and lay stuff down that just doesn't make sense, but he modeled it before us. He lost everything. His whole world fell apart the last few moments of his life. But I want you to see this, and this is where we're going to close, because I believe the Christian life starts with a negative, but it ends with a glorious positive. <laughs> because there's nothing in your life that you're going to give up that God's not going to bring it back to you. Are you all hearing me? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and God can't give it back if you're not willing to give it up. And so we trust God with our lives. I'm seeing that the more that I trust God in my life, the less that I need to control. And the, the more that I have to have control in my life, I know I'm not trusting God like, like I need to. 
And so sometimes we just got to step back and put it in his hands. He said it like this in Luke chapter 9. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll give up your life for my sake, that's where you'll find it. And so this is a hard message today. And I want us to pray because I know there's people, if you would bow your heads, there's some stuff in your life you need to lay down and you know it. You know it. There's some things in your life that don't need to be there. There's some things in your life that if they were gone, you know your life would be so much better. There's some risks in this room that God is waiting on you to take. And I don't know what it is. But part of this faith life is taking that next step. Part of this faith life is being willing to give all that you are for all that you can be. And that never ends. We never graduate from that. And so Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. Won't you just pray that prayer? Holy Spirit, we open our heart. We open, I open my heart to you. And as David prayed, search my heart. Is there anything I'm holding on to that I need to just open up my hands? God, where, show me, Holy Spirit, where I'm not trusting you fully, because that's probably where most of my anxiety is. Show me where, where I'm not trusting you fully. It may be a, a son or a daughter that, that's just not in the faith, and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed. Just, just give them to God. It may be a business that's been in the red for a few months, now it's going on years, and you don't know what to do. Give it to God. It may be an addiction that you've tried and tried and tried a hundred times to get rid of, and it just keeps making its way back through the back door. Give it to God again. <laughs> Lay it down again. You may have done it 25 times. Do it again. Trust God with your life. Because he's faithful. And he will see you through every storm. He will see you through every trial. He's a sure and solid foundation. Lord, we want to know you more. That Paul said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. We just want to know you, God. And so, Lord, draw us in. We thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen.